When uh, social media became a thing, I eagerly signed up. It seemed to be a great way to catch up with family and friends, especially those I had not seen for a very long time. Now, social media has been the source of a lot of helpful information in uh, a number of ways. Uh, you know, because of social media, I've connected with family members and friends I haven't seen for a long time. And I uh, actually connected with some relatives I never knew I had, which was kind of fun, very interesting. Uh, so in a lot of ways, social media has, has been very helpful. But not everything about social media is helpful. Sometimes help or sometimes social media can be damaging to the soul. This happens when you learn that friends that you had in high school and college are, are uh, more successful than you are. They have more impressive resumes, nicer homes, fatter bank accounts, and seemingly happier lives. You know, there's a deep hunger in the heart of every human being to succeed. The hunger on the inside and the pressure from the marketplace on the outside work together to drive us to succeed. And yet, many people who do succeed and become the envy of all of their friends find that their deep hunger remains. Even, you know, successful people are not always satisfied. Read an interesting little piece about Olympic athletes. Uh, the report that was recorded in uh, USA Today several years ago, but the report is that um, you would think that athletes who train themselves uh, vigorously and deny themselves of uh, a lot of the, the simple pleasures in life in order to compete at the highest level uh, would be happy when they won a medal. Uh, but that's not always the case according to the report. Those who win the gold medal are the happiest. Uh, the ones who are second happiest are those who win the bronze. And the least happy are the silver medalists. Why are the silver medalists um, less happy than the bronze medalists? Well, if you win the bronze, uh, you're happy because you were just a, a hair away from not getting a medal at all. But if you win the silver, uh, you were just a hair away from having the gold, being recognized as the very best in that event. So not everybody is happy or satisfied, even though you might be second best in all the world, and there might be a fraction of a second between you and the, the gold medal winner. But satisfaction seems to elude us. Why is that? Maybe uh, that we have a rather limited view of what success really is. You know, in, in our culture, success is defined as having attained a measure of fame and fortune. In our, in our culture, success is all about achieving the highest level of superiority 
whatever it is that you have been in pursuit of. Uh, the, the, the thirst for fame and fortune uh, distract us from the real thirst that lies deep within our human hearts. We truly hunger and thirst for satisfaction. You know, some people are just never satisfied. Take Dan, for instance. Dan was the kind of guy who was never satisfied. God had given him some amazing resources along with the promise that if he was obedient and worked hard, he would be successful. God guaranteed it. Now Dan wanted to be successful, of course, but he didn't like the idea of working hard. He wanted a relative life of ease without having to work for it. He wanted to take the easy path to prosperity. Well, since Dan didn't want to work for his own place to live, he, he decided that he would just take what belonged to somebody else. Not surprisingly, the results were tragic. Nevertheless, we can learn a valuable lesson from Dan. Be satisfied with what God gives you and be faithful in how you use what God gives you. So be satisfied with what gives you something that we all need to embrace. In today's story from the book of Judges, we read about what happened when Dan, actually the descendants of Dan, uh, were not satisfied with what God had given them. Uh, before we read the text from Judges 18, it's just a little more historical background, historical and biblical background uh, that, that I want to equip you with so that the story makes more sense. When uh, you know, God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt and they came to the banks uh, of the Jordan and once they crossed the Jordan they would be in Canaan, uh, the promised land, and there were lots cast there to determine which tribe got which piece of uh, the land of Canaan. And each tribe then was commanded by God to go and drive the inhabitants out and uh, take possession of the land. Uh, because of their wickedness and their idolatry, uh, God had declared war on the people of Canaan who lived there. And uh, even though he gave them 400 years to repent, all the while keeping his own people in slavery in Egypt for that same 400-year period, people of Canaan never did repent and so God is bringing judgment upon them and he's using Israel to be the instrument of that judgment and so then each tribe was expected to go and drive out the inhabitants and so that's what they did uh, sort of <laughs> actually they didn't do a complete job if you read the Old Testament uh, you will often come across uh, this little phrase uh, they did not drive the inhabitants out. Uh, they only obeyed partially. Uh, that is, every tribe but Dan, they didn't obey partially. They didn't obey at all. They looked at the task that was in front of them, the people who were living there, and they decided, you know what? Uh, this looks like too difficult a job, even though God had promised they would be successful in their ventures. So they decided that they wouldn't engage the, the people who 
uh, were living in the land that had been allotted to them. And so they just kind of hung out in the hills and traveled all around looking for some place to settle down. Eventually, they come to the place where they are now. By the way, I guess I should insert this information. Uh, the book of Judges is not written in chronological order. It is up through the life of Samson, who was a Danite. That is, he was a, a member of the tribe of Dan, by the way. That's where the chronological story ends. From that point forward, there are various illustrations of what happened when people did what was right in their own eyes. And we are looking at one of those illustrations this morning. So actually, uh, these things are that, that, that take place happened just about 25 years after um, the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River and uh, there was the destruction of Jericho. So just about 25 years after this is uh, when the story that we are about to read takes place. So if you would like to turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 18, it's on page 217 in your pew Bible. Um, we want to read a story that illustrates the theme of Judges. There was no king in Israel in those days. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So chapter 18. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and in those days, the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then, no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. And so the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtol, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, Go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and lodged there. When they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. What is your business here? And he said to them, uh, This is how Micah dealt with me. He's hired me, and I have become his priest. And they said to him, Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey of which we are setting out will succeed. The priest said to them, go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. Then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there, how they lived in security after the manner, uh, the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtel, the brothers said to them, What do you report? They said, Arise, let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it is very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go, to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. So, 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zorah and Eshtel, and they went up and encamped at Kareth, Jerem, and Judah. On this account, that place is called Mahanadan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kareth, Jerem. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. And then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, 
Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image, and a metal image? Now therefore consider what you will do. They turned aside and they came to the house of the young Levite at the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now the 600 men of the Danites armed with their weapons of war stood by the entrance of the gate and the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image while the priests stood up by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when these went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, the priest said to them, What are you doing? They said to him, Keep quiet, put your hand to your mouth, and come with us, and be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man, or to be a priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and his household gods and the car damage and went along with the people. And so they turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in, in front of them. And when they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan who turned around and said to Micah, What's the matter with you? You come to such a company like this? And he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away and what have I left? How then do you ask me, what's the matter with you? The people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you and you lose your life and the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned away and went back home. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him and they came to Laish to a people quiet and unsuspecting and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Bethraim and they built the city or they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan, after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at the first. The people of Dan set up the car damage for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. And so they set up Micah's car damage that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Now this is an account of what happened when you're not satisfied with what God gives you. And to be a little more specific, beyond doing what is right in your own eyes, we want to see some of the, the, of the specific things that fall under that heading. But the first one is this, is that you no longer see a need for God. You know, earlier we noted that the tribe of Dan had been given a, given a section of the promised land by God, and they would have to displace the inhabitants who were in the land, but um, 
not to worry because God had promised them that they would be successful for, uh, in, in their efforts. The Danites evidently didn't believe God because they didn't even try to drive out the inhabitants. Instead, they chose to settle in the hill country. And uh, while they grow dissatisfied with living in an area that doesn't produce good crops, uh, they embark on this campaign to go and find a, a good land that belongs to people who are weaker than they are and it would be easy to take their land from them. Sort of like taking candy from a baby. That was the situation they were looking for. So they're looking for a place that they can take without any difficulty. They want to find a place where they will not have to depend upon God for their strength and their courage. They see no need whatsoever to rely upon God. That's the state of affairs with this tribe of people. Now let's pause here for a moment and do a little bit of application. Uh, can a church do this? What I mean by asking that is, uh, can a church do what a church does without depending upon God? Well, you know, we could have services and offer various programs without relying upon God. We can just uh, you know, do what we do and uh, say that we are you know, doing the, the work of the Lord while all the time we're just really going through the motions. Let me ask this question. You know, what if we suddenly exploded with growth? That this place was filled and overflowing every week. Maybe we had to have three or four services to accommodate everyone. Uh, wouldn't that be a good thing? Hmm. Uh, I have to confess, uh, I don't know a preacher who exists who wouldn't love to see every seat filled. However, if you don't experience God while you are here, what good is it? If you don't come in contact with the eternal one, who has the power to transform lives, what good is it whether you go through the motions or not? It doesn't really make any difference if lives are not transformed, if disciples are not made. Now, without the element of the supernatural, the awareness of God's presence and God's activity, we really wouldn't be any different than the Danites, you know, thinking that we can be a successful congregation without the need to rely upon God. But curiously, the Danites seem to believe that they are doing exactly what God wants them to do. They send out five spies. Remember, uh, if um, you read the uh, account of Israel sending out uh, you know, spies to uh, check out Canaan. And uh, there were 10 spies that came back with a negative report and two spies had a, a positive report. And uh, now we see the Danites sending out five spies. They're, they're really just doing a parody of what happened uh, you know, several years ago. Uh, they were not commissioned by anyone. They 
just think, well, if we go through the motions of taking the land, then surely God will be with us. He will bless our efforts and we really won't have to do uh, any, anything at all. So they think this is God's will because of something that happens when they send out uh, these, these spies to check out uh, the, the land. So uh, that's one of the indications that uh, you're not satisfied with what God has given you when you think you really don't need to rely upon God anymore, that you can just go through the motions. Here's a, an, another specific is that you, you will seek out someone who will tell you what you want to hear. I mean, that's what you do when you're dissatisfied with what God has given to you. Let's see how it plays out in, in the, the story we've read. You know, the, these spies come to, to Micah's house, and they uh, come in contact with, with Micah's uh, Lisa Levite, the, the, the Renarev, you know, that, that guy. And they either recognize his voice because they know him, or they recognize his voice because he is from Bethlehem, that's in the south. So anyone who's got a strong southern accent, you're going to recognize it right away. When we lived in New York, there was a little meat market uh, near where we lived. And uh, they specialized in selling uh, beef tenderloin, uh, which is... Uh, filet mignon, and it was cheap. I think at that time it was like $3 a pound. Uh, today, filet mignon sells for $3 a bite. Um, uh, nonetheless, uh, there was always a long line, and you hoped that you would uh, be able to, uh, to, to get some before you know, they, they ran out. So I'm standing there in line, it's all a bunch of guys, and uh, then I hear somebody on his cell phone talking, and he sounds like somebody from my family. Well, I know it couldn't be anybody from my family, so he had to be uh, somebody from where I grew up. So I turned around and I said, what part of North Carolina are you from? I didn't say the South, you know, it's more distinct than that. He said Charlotte, you know, which is, you know, 90 miles down the road from where I grew up, so I said, well, I'm from High Point, and, well, we just talked like we were friends for, have been friends forever. <laughs> so, um, you know, recognizing a familiar accent, you know, that can kind of give you some hope that, you know, maybe something good can, can come out of this meeting. So, these guys, these uh, spies from the, the tribe of Dan connect with uh, this Levite, and uh, they uh, ask him, hey, uh, since uh, you're, you're a priest and, and, and a Levite, meaning, you know, he's a genuine article, meaning uh, that he's going to have clout with God. They say, could, could you uh, intercede for us and, and find out whether our adventure is going to be successful or not? And so, uh, yeah, uh, Levite decided he could do that. And so he, he comes back and uh, he says, you know, go in your way. You're going to be successful. You know, you're going to be under God's eye. Uh, just a euphemism of saying, yeah, God approves of what you're going to be doing here, even though 
The Danites already knew that they were outside the will of God. They would not go into the territory and uh, fight to take the land that God had given to them. They didn't obey in that area at all. They were not thinking, you know, we, 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 we disobeyed when we were given the command. So what if we would go to this priest and say, would, would you go to the Lord and intercede for us and help us to repent so that we can get back in the, the good graces of God? They're not looking for anything like that. They're thinking, you know, we, we've got somebody here who's, who's got an inside track to God. And if we can connect with him, uh, he will intercede and God will have to bless us. You know, that's what Micah, the guy who hired the Levite, said, now I know that the Lord will have to bless me because I've got a Levite for a priest. So this kind of attitude spreads over to these spies from the tribe of Dan. And uh, they, they hear that God has approved of their venture. And... Uh, so everyone is happy, so it seems. Let me pause here just for a moment and uh, ask this question. Have you ever gone to God and asked him to rubber stamp your plans? You don't go to God and say, uh, Lord, what would you have me do? You go to the Lord and say, here's what I want to do. I'd sure like to have your approval for it. <laughs> Just sign here, please. Stamp here, please. I would appreciate that. Uh, I know that's just purely hypothetical. I'm not speaking to any one of you. I'm just observing, uh, you know, if we were like the Danites, this is something that, that, that we would do, but we're not like them, so it doesn't apply, so, right? So let's go on. Just notice here tongue is firmly implanted in my cheek. <laughs> but you know a lot of uh, churches build attendance this way. You know the preacher wants to be liked, he wants people to come to church. Yeah. Uh, that applies uh, to all of us who who are preachers. And um, you know attendance is you know really inspiring, it means a lot uh, to um, everyone in church leadership and those who are just part of a church. We would like to see the place full. And um, you know, one of the ways to get people to come, so we're told, is to tell people what they want to hear. If you tell people what they want to hear, uh, New Testament calls that the tickling of the ears, uh, then you know, people will, will show up. But if you say things that people don't want to hear, and it makes people uncomfortable when they hear it, well, they're going to go someplace else where they can hear what they want to hear. Just want you to know that this is not our intent to tell you what you want to hear. We want to tell you what God has said in his word, make it clear, help you with the application, with the, the ob objective of learning Christ, coming to know God, and as a result to become more Christ-like in the way that we live. But uh, for, for some, um, including the, uh, the Levite here, uh, you know, he just 
it's, it, it's, it's as though he's always promoting himself. He's looking for the, 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 the next big thing. And so um, whatever he needs to do in, in order to advance himself, um, he's going to be doing that. And that leads us to the next specific. Uh, when you're not satisfied with what God has given to you, you will look for an easy path to success. The Danites easily wiped out the people of Laish. You know, they were unsuspecting people. They didn't have any allies nearby. There's nobody they could send for help. Uh, they were isolated, uh, unprotected, unsuspecting. And the Danites were thoroughly successful in taking the land uh, for, uh, for their own use. This leads me to ask this question. Are the visible signs of success, just pointing out again, the Danites were successful in taking this land. So I'm asking this question. Are the visible signs of success always an indication that you're doing everything right? You're successful, therefore that must mean you're doing everything right. You know, that's what the Danites told themselves. They, they had a Levite intercede for them. And he gave them an affirming word of assurance that the Danites would be successful in this venture. Therefore, God had to bless them. And if God says no, then you find a way around him. You wrap your rebellion in religious-looking garb and then do what seems right in your eyes when God disappoints you. You know, it's much easier to get what you want illegitimately than it is to get it the right way. If someone has what you want, then just step on him and take it. See that repeated in this story and the story last week time and time again. Micah stepped over his mother and took 1,100 pieces of silver from her. Uh, the Danites come and they walk all over Micah uh, by taking his priest and by taking... Uh, these carved images and the metal image and the ephod and the household gods and, uh, and, and, and all of that. And then the Danites go and they don't just walk all over uh, the, the, the people of Laish. I mean, they slaughter them. Um, that's an easy pathway to success. Someone has what you want, just step on them and take it. This is an illustration of what people did in those days when there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's what the people, uh, uh, the tribe of Dan did with the people of, of uh, Laish. It's what they did with uh, the things we've already talked about. And we think, uh, poor Micah. You know, think about him. These, these Danites have come. They've stolen his priests. They've stolen his... Uh, the, the F on there, the priestly garment that he made, they stole his idols, they stole his gods, and he comes back and he says, uh, he, he runs and, and catches up with the, the Danites, and they're running away with all his stuff, and they say, what's the matter? Uh, wh why are you so upset? Why am I so upset? You know, you've, you've taken everything, you've taken my gods away from me. If I don't have my gods, I don't have anything. Let me ask you this, if someone can steal your gods, you need to get a new god. But it does lead us to ask this question. Is there anything that can be taken from you that you would say, 
You've taken everything. You've taken everything away. I want you to know that if the Lord Jesus Christ dwells in you through his Holy Spirit, that you belong to him, that God is your father, he will never leave you nor forsake you. No one can ever take him away from you. Corey Ten Boom, who was a prisoner of war in the concentration camps uh, during World War II, when uh, you know she had she lost everything, lost her parents, lost her sister, uh, who was there in uh, the internment camp uh, with her, and she really had nothing. But she did say something like this. When you realize that you have nothing but God, then you realize that God is all you really need. Well, let's make a transition here. The uh, author of Judges has a surprise for us uh, at the end of the chapter. Now here he reveals the identity of the Renarev or the Lisa Levite, uh, this guy who jumps at every chance to get ahead in his career. You know, the, 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 the Danites come and they ransack Micah's house. And uh, Micah, you know, protests for a moment. And then the, the, the Danites say, hey, uh, well, which is better for you to be the priest over one man or to be uh, the priest for a whole clan in Israel? Ah, yeah, this sounds like a promotion. I uh, get a chance to take a, a, a bigger church and and they're going to pay me more money and I'll have more benefits and more time off. And yeah, sure, he just immediately goes away with him. You know, so much for being as a son to Micah, which is what it said in the story last week. But here we see who this priest is. And we also get a clue when we see who he is of why the Danites might have recognized his voice. He is identified here as Jonathan who was the son of Gershom, who was the son of Moses. <laughs> no wonder Micah thought, hey, I've got Moses' grandson to be my priest. Now God has to bless me. No wonder the Danites thought, hey, look at this. We've got Moses' grandson to be our priest. Now God has to bless us. Interesting, isn't it, how, I mean, even in those days, they were impressed with celebrities. Of course, we don't uh, do that too much in our culture. We're much more discerning. Um, but there is uh, something about attaching God's blessing when uh, you see, um, you know, suppose for a moment that, that I retire and um, um, you know, this is totally hypothetical. Uh, there's, there's a vacancy in the pulpit and uh, you interview some people and you find out, lo and behold, one of them is Billy Graham's grandson. Now, hey, now God has to bless us. We got a celebrity pastor. By the way, uh, there was a, a church, large church, who did get Billy Graham's grandson, and it didn't work out so well because Billy Graham's grandson was not exactly uh, faithful. So we see this kind of thing playing out even in our own in, in our own lives, in the context of, of where we live. 
But it does illustrate something else. God has many children. He has many sons and daughters, but no grandchildren. Know what I mean by that? Is that you can't hang on to the coattails of parents or grandparents and say, uh, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a descendant of, you know, so-and-so. Um, you know, my, my grandfather was a preacher or, you know, something like that. And uh, think that, you know, you're in good standing with God because that blessing just flows right on down that genetic line. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is speaking to some of the scribes and Pharisees who are coming to him. And he is uh, not exactly soft with them. <laughs> you know, he calls them a bunch of snakes. But in, in this particular instance that uh, I'm referencing, uh, John says to, to, to the Pharisees there, now, don't give me this line about being descendants of Abraham because God can raise up descendants of Abraham from these stones. But that was something really important in the Jewish culture. If, uh, if your lineage was pure, if you had um, you know, Abraham as uh, your ancestor, which you know, the whole Jewish nation did, they thought they're God's favorites. Of course God's going to bless us. Well, look, we're, we're sons of Abraham. And now we got uh, Moses' grandson, uh, front and center here. And everybody's thinking, uh, if we could just touch him, you know, then some of the, 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 the blessing of God is going to come over to us. Well, let's get back to the story here and wrap it up, see what happened uh, to the Danites. You know, they went over the Levite to their side with more money and a more lucrative uh, opportunity in ministry. They easily overpower the people of Lish. Uh, they make this paradise their new home where they live happily ever after. Right? By the way, um, this place in Lish where they were, uh, where, where they had taken to make their own home uh, was, was the headwaters of the Jordan River. Uh, and at that point, uh, the water was pure, it was clean, unpolluted. Um, but the, the, the name uh, or, or the, the, the word jor, as it's translated into English, uh, means out of. And so you have Jordan, which is out of Dan. So that's how the river got its name. Uh, extra information, no extra charge. Uh, you file that away. Uh, now back to the story. We're thinking, well, you know, the Danites are going to live happily ever after. Uh, I mean, they were successful in their ventures. They got Moses' grandson. Uh, everything is hunky-dory, right? They all live happily ever after. That's what you might expect if you believe that uh, the, the visible signs of success mean that everything, uh, that you did everything right. But there's another scriptural principle we need to be aware of that you will reap what you sow but you don't reap in the season in which you sow that comes later and in the case of the Danites uh, the harvest of their sins did come later in the book of first chronicles there is a list of the tribes of Israel and all the families of Israel but there is no mention of the tribe of Dan they had vanished into obscurity, you know, probably because they had 
uh, intermarried with uh, the Philistines, which was something that God did not want his people to do. To do. Otherwise, uh, they would lose their identity as a, a people. So this is likely what happened to Dan. If you go to the book of Revelation, chapter 7, you will also see a list of the tribes of Israel uh, where the 144,000 are mentioned, but there is no mention of Dan. He's not there. So this tribe just disappeared. So in conclusion, I want to say a, a, a few things uh, to help us get our minds around this. You know, some people are never satisfied. They pursue what they think will bring satisfaction. They do what they think will result in satisfaction. They do what is right in their own eyes, hoping, believing, expecting to find satisfaction in the process. So many of us hunger and thirst for success, believing that success will bring satisfaction. If this describes you, you are hungering and thirsting for the wrong thing. Success does not bring lasting satisfaction. It just doesn't. So what does bring satisfaction? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reveals the key. As blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where do we get this righteousness? Well, some look for the righteousness that comes through success. Now, you're a great person if uh, you achieve, achieve fame and fortune with your life. Others pursue the righteousness that comes from having what people admire. So if you have a perfect body, uh, society will approve of you and you will have a certain amount of righteousness. Uh, so society approves of thin people, of athletic people, of pretty people, especially pretty people. Uh, others seek the righteousness that comes through political correctness, regardless of which side of the political divide you're on. If you're in favor of the right politically correct things and hold uh, incorrect political views and contempt, the culture will reward you with a measure of you know, righteousness. So does this kind of righteousness that promises satisfaction really produce? I mean, if you were really thin and trim and strong and athletic and handsome or pretty and successful and were politically correct with the circles where you uh, congregate, would that bring satisfaction? No. There's only one thing that will bring lasting satisfaction. It is the righteousness of God, not the righteousness of man. So how do you get it? How do you get the righteousness of God? Uh, let's skip. I didn't read all this here. Oh, now I want to read here. Here we go in Romans chapter 3. But now the righteousness of God 
has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all has sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So are you hungry for the only thing that brings true, lasting satisfaction? If you are, that thing is not success. It is not the approval of others. It is not doing whatever is right in your own eyes. It is the righteousness of Christ, which God offers to you freely through grace as a gift. And it all sounds so simple, maybe too simple. You know, what, just accept the righteousness of Christ as a gift and you'll find satisfaction? Uh, seems uh, too simple. Like it, that, that, There has to be more to it than that. Or so it seems. For you to even want what your soul deeply hungers for requires a supernatural intervention from God. Do you hear what I'm saying? Even though we read in the Bible where it says that the, you know, the, the righteousness of God is available to us as a free gift uh, through the, the, the grace of God and the righteousness of God would satisfy, you're not going to go for it. It will not be attractive to you unless there is a supernatural intervention of the Spirit of God to implant that in your heart and give you that desire. So, I mean, I can stand up here and talk for a long time, which I know I'm doing. <laughs> and you can sit there and listen for a long time, uh, which you, you are patiently and respectfully doing. But none of this means anything apart from a supernatural visitation of the Spirit of God in our lives. A couple of verses I want to relate to you and then we'll be done. And uh, first John we're told this, but to all who did receive him, even to those, I mean, sorry, it's John 1, even to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And then in John 6, Jesus said this, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The act of coming to Christ is made possible and desirable by God. If you sense that God is drawing you, please know this. The supernatural work of the Spirit of God is at work in you. And when you come to Christ, it is because His Spirit is drawing you. He's wooing you. He's inviting you. And when you come to Christ, you will never be cast out. When you come to Christ, you will be satisfied. Because Christ and Christ alone can truly satisfy that hungering and thirsting for righteousness that is at work in you. Pray together. Gracious Father, we sit here as people who at some point in our lives 
have been dissatisfied with what you've given to us. We would have preferred um, perhaps stronger bodies or sharper minds or something that would translate into success in the world that we live in. We acknowledge that. We acknowledge that even if we had the things uh, that the world says uh, bring satisfaction, uh, ultimately we recognize that they don't. And you and you alone can bring lasting satisfaction uh, through whatever we go through in life. So I pray that you put that hunger in us, that that desire uh, for you deep into our hearts that we may yearn for your righteousness which you promise will satisfy because it removes every trace of sin from our record and as a gift we have not just our cleaned up righteousness, we have your righteousness, the righteousness of God through Christ applied to us. Thank you for this inexpressible gift. Through Christ we pray, amen.